Remember, no one and nothing can keep you from prayer. God moved heaven and earth to give us access to Him. He did more than that. He sent His only begotten Son, who died on a cross and said, It is finished, and rose again, and I can come right into His presence right now in Jesus' name, and no one can keep me from it. And since we have such a great high priest, the book of Hebrews says, who's passed through the heavenlies, since we've got such a great mediator, let us draw near with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part five of the message titled, Striving in Prayer. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. If you want to take your Bible this morning and turn to Romans 15. Romans 15. I know that 16 follows 15. And sooner or later we'll get to 16. But uh, the centrality of Paul's exhortation here, I think uh, we wisely stop and mull it over. And uh, so I want to take a third run at this uh, passage in Romans 15, verse 30. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you by the will of God, in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul pleads with the Romans to join with him in the struggle of prayer. And we've talked about it. The term he uses here for striving together, it's an intensified form of agonizomai, where we get our word agonize. It's often translated fight, fight the good fight, struggle, wrestle. Prayer is not easy. And Paul pleads with the Romans to join him. And uh, we've seen that, uh, you know, we've talked about it, and I'm sure you've seen it in your own Christian life. Prayer is not easy. It, uh, it's an amazing privilege we have. The world knows nothing about it, that we have the kind of communion where we can just talk to our Father anytime about anything with confidence because we come in Jesus' name. You'd think that we would pray without ceasing, without any struggle. But uh, that's not always the case. Satan works overtime to keep us from praying. He knows how strong we are when we pray. He knows the strength of the power that we unleash when we pray. And so he works overtime to keep us from praying. And he uses anything he can. He'll use a cluttered schedule, that's for sure. Uh, he'll use busyness and other pressing matters that we think are more important. We don't really think they're more important if we're halfway sane in our spiritual life, but we end up thinking they are. <laughs> he'll use boredom. 
He'll use our mind wandering. He'll use just rank unbelief. He'll use bad theology. He'll take one truth of Scripture and overemphasize it to the exclusion of other truths of Scripture. And so people will say, well, God is in charge, and he certainly is. He does whatever he pleases, and he certainly does. The Bible clearly says so. And they'll run with that kind of truth and say, it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what, whether we pray or not. And rule out huge portions of the same Bible that teaches us that God's in charge. Now, he'll use just about anything he can. And I think um, every one of us knows something about spiritual lethargy or laziness. And so we've looked at some of these hindrances to prayer, and uh, I want you to know that you're going to face them every day. I do, and I don't expect any difference in any different situation until the rapture, until the Lord comes for us. We're going to face a struggle in prayer. But Paul says, join me in the struggle. Join with me in praying to God for me. And I'll turn it around. Satan works overtime to keep us from prayer. But remember, no one and nothing can keep you from prayer if you want to pray. God moved heaven and earth to give us access to Him. He did more than that. He sent His only begotten Son who died on a cross and said it is finished and rose again and I can come right into His presence right now in Jesus' name and no one can keep me from it. They can throw me in prison. They could separate me from my family. They could do all kinds of things. But they can't keep God's children from talking to Him. And that's a tremendous truth we need to remember. And... Uh, I would just encourage you. We don't have a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. We've got a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. There's one God who created the heavens and the earth, who from everlasting to everlasting is most high. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And since we have such a great high priest, the book of Hebrews says, who's passed through the heavenlies, since we've got such a great mediator, let us draw near with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm quoting Hebrews 4, verse 16. And I'll tell you what, in my experience, that's when I draw near. It's in my time of need. And we talked about it last time. I think real prayer is born of a sense of need. The, the, the reality is we're needy. We need Him at all times. We ought to be praying at all times because we're always in need. But we pray most when we sense our need. Prayer is born of a sense of need. Prayer is grounded in the character of God, who He is. He's a prayer-answering God. He's able to answer any prayer. He can do more than you can ask or think, exceeding abundantly more. Ephesians 3.20 and 21, by the way, if you want to document that. And prayer should always be for the glory of God. When we pray, we should be seeking His glory. Now, I want to uh, take another look at this because, as I told you, prayer is not easy. And I believe that uh, any encouragement we can glean from Scripture, from one another, 
from a time of worship like this to prayer and to really investing in prayer, to devoting ourselves to prayer is time well spent. It seems to me that every Christian knows instinctively uh, why the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And why we don't get all that critical, or at least we shouldn't, when we find the disciples falling asleep in Gethsemane. Uh, don't you relate to their plea, Lord, teach us to pray? And don't you relate to their falling asleep when the Lord asked them to pray for an hour? Can't you keep watch for an hour? Uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Jesus said. So I want to remind you that uh, the scripture exhorts us to prayer, and he says, devote yourselves to prayer. This book opened, chapter 1, with Paul saying, God is my witness as to how unceasingly I pray for you guys in Romans 1. It closes with this exhortation, join with me, strive together with me, agonizomai in prayer with me. And in the middle, back in chapter 12, when he was describing healthy Christianity, he just said that little phrase, devoted to prayer. Healthy Christians are devoted to prayer. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And I want to remind you, our Lord devoted himself to prayer. And we talked about it a little bit last time, but from, from the time he came on the scene, you know that when the Holy Spirit came upon him visibly in the, in the picture of the dove descending on him there at his baptism, Luke tells us it was while he was praying. It was while he was praying. And from that moment on in his public exposure to Israel and on the pages of Scripture, you just see him as a man of prayer until on the cross, even on the cross, he's praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He was praying as our great example. And after the resurrection, the book of Acts, the early disciples devoted themselves to prayer. When they were waiting in the upper room in Acts chapter 1, I read that they were devoting themselves to prayer. When the Holy Spirit came in chapter 2, I read that they were de continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Acts 2, verse 42. Chapter 3 of Acts, when Peter says, listen, I don't have any silver and gold to that lame beggar that was saying, can you give me a little money? He said, what, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. You know where he was going? The Bible tells us just almost inadvertently. Peter and John, as they saw that beggar, they were on their way to the hour of prayer at the temple. In chapter 6 of Acts, the apostles said, it's not good for us to get spread too thin and get so busy. We're busy administrating everything. It's got to be done, but we need to spread the work around, and we must devote ourselves to prayer and to the Word. They devoted themselves to prayer. And I think of, uh, you know, as you think through the book of Acts, uh, Cornelius, the first, first Gentile convert, when the angel showed up and spoke to him, I mean, if you ever heard from an angel, you'd listen, wouldn't you? And you'd, you'd, an angelic message. The angel came to him and said, your prayers and alms 
have ascended as a memorial before God. And that scripture we read during the worship uh, out of the book of Revelation, the prayers are like incense and they ascend before the throne of God. What a what an amazing thing to think about. And prayer is a dynamic force. It's not just an activity. In the book of Acts, it's a dynamic force. When they had that gal Dorcas die, and she'd been doing good work, she was just loved by the church, and she died. You remember they put her body in the upper room, and they said, go get Peter. And Peter came, and I read that he knelt down and prayed. And the Lord raised up Dorcas. Uh, prayer moves the hand of God. Peter himself was scheduled for execution. Herod killed James. He found it was politically popular. He had Peter scheduled for execution. But I read in Acts chapter 12, but prayer for him was being fervently made by the church. And you know the story. Peter was rescued right out of that jail, right on the night preceding his scheduled execution, and his life was spared. He was, uh, he was a believer in prayer, and he was a, uh, a receiver of the benefits of prayer. Prayer moves God's hand. We looked at it last week, Hezekiah, a tremendous instance where God answered prayer. And there are so many through the Old Testament Moses, David, Isaiah, Daniel, uh, Elijah, Elisha. You know, you, you just go on and on, and there are so many illustrations for us because God wants us to pray. Now, with that in mind, I want to give us four practical thoughts on prayer. Very briefly, and I think very practical, and I think very biblical. And, you know, biblical prayer is practical and uh any, any prayer we do, we ought to seek to be biblical, and that will be practical. And so I want to give you four thoughts on prayer, looking at our text here, and I'll give them to you right away, and then we'll look at them. Be specific, be persistent, prioritize prayer, and pray for God's glory. Uh, just to kind of tie off what we've been saying about this need to struggle in prayer, to not give up. First of all, be specific. Be specific. Look at verse 30. I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, and remember now, this is the same language he used in chapter 12. This is central to what Paul would like to see happen in their life. It almost is the two, the two bookends to this whole section of Romans. I urge you, by the mercies of God, give yourself to God, he said in chapter 12. Put your life as a living sacrifice on the altar. Put yourself at his disposal. Now he closes this section off. He says, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. That, look at verse 31. In order that, pray to God for me in order that, he uses uh, a Greek term here that, that is very much, a, you know, so that kind of a term. And he uses it in verse 31 and 32. And it's translated that or so that or in order that. Pray for what? Pray that. And he gives four specific requests. First of all, that I may be delivered 
from those who are disobedient in Judea. And, secondly, that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. And thirdly, so that I may come to you, verse 32, in joy by the will of God. And fourth, so that I might find refreshing rest in your company. Now, were those prayers answered? I mean, he gave four specific requests. He said, strive together, but it wasn't just a general, just pray. He said, pray for me that one, that two, three, four. Pray for four things he gave them to pray for. And it's a good thing to ask people for prayer and to join you in specific things God lays on your heart. Be specific. Let your requests be made known to God. But I ask, were the prayers answered? Were the prayers answered? Well, look at the first one. So that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea. Was that answered? Yes, it was. But not without a little bit of drama, huh? You remember, he's on his way. He'd like to go west to Spain. But he's on his way back east because he's got this mission to take the gifts from the Gentile churches back to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And I use the Gentile-Jewish thing pretty loosely because in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, and Paul's made that very clear, but the makeup of these congregations. And so he's headed back to Jerusalem, and he knows there's plenty of uh, disobedient Jews in Judea who have had this huge persecution that first spread them out a lot. They're hated back in Jerusalem. So he says, pray that I'd be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea. Well, when he got back to Judea, what happened? Well, they rioted almost. They grabbed him when he came, when they realized who he was, and he was in the temple square, you remember? And so it looked as if maybe he wasn't going to have that prayer answered. But you remember the Romans took him and rescued him. He was delivered from those who are disobedient. It wasn't without some drama. In fact, you can read seven chapters worth of drama from Acts 21 to 28. He spent two years in prison down at Caesarea. He had to be rescued out of Jerusalem, in fact, at night with 70 horsemen and 200 spearsmen to get him out of town because there was a plot to kill him even while he was in jail in Jerusalem. These guys, it's no overstatement, verse 31, when he, when he says disobedient in Judea. They were. They were ready to murder him, just like he'd been ready to murder Christians before he found Christ. But he was delivered. And he was down in Caesarea for a couple years. He had to appeal to Caesar, remember? He had to come across the ocean via shipwreck. But it's an adventuresome story, but God answered that prayer. He was delivered. And he was delivered to preach another day, another year, another segment of his life. But what about the next one? That my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. What's he mean by that? Well, it was a... It was a question. It was a legitimate question. What will the Christians at Jerusalem do with this love gift from the Gentile Christians out in the field? And there was this human element where, you mean to say that Christians might not love each other, might not respond rightly? Yeah, that was a legitimate option. And it still happens today. You've got things like that. We're not what we ought to be sometimes. But turn over to Acts 21. Keep your finger here in Romans 15 and just kind of watch what happened. Acts 21. He says, pray that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Even me showing up after I've been out 
proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles because you remember there were those who thought, what's he doing proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles? And he said, pray that this will be acceptable. And when he got back into town, when he'd come to Jerusalem, verse 17, the brethren received us gladly. There's the first part of that prayer request. And now the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. And after he'd greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began criticizing and saying, what in the world are you doing with those Gentiles? No, that's not what they said. We might expect that if you've, if you've lived through it and if you've read earlier parts of Acts. But look at verse 21 or 20. When they heard it, when they heard what God had been doing among the Gentiles through his ministry, they began glorifying God. Oh, I'll tell you, this second prayer request was answered. By the way, when our missionaries come back and report what God is doing, this is a great text. When they heard what God was doing out on the far reaches of the Roman Empire, they began glorifying God. That should be the goal of mission reports. That should be the goal of ministry reports locally. And uh, we should remember to glorify God for what he's doing today. And so I'd say that second request was graciously answered abundantly. Well, what about the third one? Look back at our text. That I might be delivered, he was, from the disobedient in Judea. That my service may, for Jerusalem may prove acceptable, it was, to the saints. So that, he says it again, verse 32, I may come to you in joy by the will of God. He did. Now, his joy wasn't dependent on circumstances. But he did get to Rome, and he got there joyfully. Look at the end of Acts 28. Acts 28. And watch... Uh, because to me it's a real human verse in the sense that you see a little insight into the Apostle Paul. And it's good to know he was made out of the same stuff we're made out of. And when he'd, you know, he'd traveled, he'd been in prison at Caesarea. I'm sure this wasn't what he was asking them specifically. Pray that I'll go through all this. But he said, pray for the main objectives. And they did. And God answered, even though it had quite a bit of drama to it. He goes through a shipwreck. He's on the island of Malta for three months. He has to winter there. He finally gets a ship, and he finally gets to Italy. And as he's traveling up the peninsula to Rome, verse 15, the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. They came out to meet him. And when Paul saw them, look at this, he thanked God and took courage. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Striving in Prayer, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. 
but during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can find us online at abideintheword.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Remember when Jesus told that parable? teaching us that at all times we ought to pray and not lose heart. And then he gave the parable of the gal that just wore the unrighteous judge out, the widow who couldn't get justice, and she just kept working on this judge. And finally he said, look, I don't fear God, and I'm not a respectable man. I don't have any good reason to do this, but I'm going to do this just so this woman doesn't wear me out. And he gave her what she needed, justice. And Jesus used that as an illustration. He said, Go to God in prayer. Now, our Heavenly Father is just. He loves us. He wants the best for us. But Jesus pictured it. He said, be persistent. Don't lose heart. Go after what you're praying for. Be persistent. Some of you are tempted right now, I'm sure, to lose heart. You've prayed, and you've seen nothing happen. Jesus said, don't lose heart. Pray. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings the sixth and final part of the message titled, Striving in Prayer. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 